Let us pray. Our God, we thank you for this day in which you've brought us to this place that we might know you and encounter you as your saints have throughout history through word and sacrament. We pray that you will be with us now, that you will plant the words of your gospel deep within us, that they might yield fruit 30, 60, and 90 fold to your glory. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> it's funny how, fe- how traveling feels so exciting when you start, but so draining when it's over. I'm the only male faculty member at a K-8 school, so when there's a trip to be had, guess who gets to go? So I just got back on Friday from Dolphin Island with a group of 7th graders. It was, a, it was a fun time. We saw dolphins. We saw alligators. We saw everything you can see. But there was such a marked difference between the bus ride on the way down and the bus ride on the way back. The way down was filled with excitement, like getting ready to go to the circus. And the way back was like Jonestown. It was not very active. There was not a lot going on. When I was 19, I took a trip that I'm sure I've told you about before. It's the kind of trip that you can take at 19, but that kills you at 35. My college roommate and I slept on a futon mattress in the back of an SUV for about two and a half weeks as we drove all the way out to San Francisco. We had no plan, but our plan was to drive about until half of our money ran out and then turn around and start home. So we were surviving on peanut butter and Captain Crunch sandwiches, so we thought we could make it a pretty good distance. And we did. We made it all the way to San Francisco to the Pacific Ocean, but when we made the turn and started heading back east, we were tired and we were hungry and we were irritable and we just wanted to get home. So we pulled shifts and we drove back from Las Vegas in about 35 hours. See, there's just something quintessentially human about a journey, about traveling. It was the poet Dante who said, midway along the journey of our life, I found myself in a dark wood. But it was Clark W. Griswold who said, this is no longer a vacation, it's a quest. A quest for fun. See, having a destination or a goal in mind makes the journey more tolerable. It gives us a sense of purpose, a sense of hope. Today's gospel passage in Luke is actually my favorite. Now, I know having favorite scriptures is akin to having favorite children, but here we are. But this, what happens in this story is pretty amazing. Here we see two men who are walking together, and in the midst of them, during this journey, a stranger draws near. But this isn't, this isn't some rando, some weirdo. This is Jesus of Nazareth, who we know as the audience, we know was crucified but has risen again. But these two disciples don't recognize him yet because their eyes haven't adjusted. In the fall, one of the trips I get asked to go on is to Camp McDowell. We do a nature hike at night with sixth graders and they love it. But when we get back, the counselor does this kind of cheesy but really fun story with the kids. They light one candle in the midst, and then he instructs them to keep both eyes open, but cover one. Okay, so both eyes are open, but one is covered. And then he tells this long and meandering story about a pirate or about some criminal. It doesn't really matter. What he's doing is he's wasting time. Five to ten minutes, the story goes. And as he tells the story, the open eye adjusts to the light, or to the darkness, rather. So So that when it's uncovered at the end of the story, the kids can see in the dark. Their eyes had to adjust before they could see. There's something really similar, I think, going on in our passage for this morning. See, we're told that the disciples' eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. A very odd thing, by the way. Not the kind of thing you would include in a gospel if you were trying to make this story about a human reappearing, by the way. But at any rate, they have eyes to see, but they don't. 
So Christ is walking with them, but they don't yet recognize him. We love to describe our walk with Christ, right? But do you ever feel like you're walking alone? And not in the precious moments, footprints on the beach sort of way. I mean, things are falling apart. The world is crashing, and you just want to not feel alone for just a second. You want to feel Jesus in some real and tangible way. But how can our eyes be trained to recognize Christ in our midst? As we'll see this morning, our passage has a very clear answer to it, to that question. Our eyes adjust to Christ and to his kingdom by scripture and by the sacrament. At least in part, then, discipleship is the process of our eyes being opened. So returning to Luke's gospel, we can listen into the conversation that's ongoing for this journey. The stranger asks them what they're talking about, and their faces seem to drop in the text. They stop walking, and they stand still because the story they're living demands it. The question quite literally gives them pause, and it also gives them sadness and grief. So Cleopas said, are you the only guy in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? One of the things that makes this passage so interesting is that about half of it is Cleopas's speech describing how they understand their situation themselves. So he explains about Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people. Then he throws out one of the saddest lines you can read. He says, they had hoped. The past tense of hope feels weird. There's another word for the past tense of hope, of course, it's despair. Dostoevsky said a man can no more cease to hope than he can cease to breathe. And yet, again, here we are. These disciples had hoped, but their hopes were dashed. Have your hopes ever been dashed? I'm not talking about mild disappointment. I'm not talking about the grocery store being out of eggs. I'm talking about the foundations of your future eroding away in a weekend. Because that's what these disciples have experienced. That's where they are. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, he tells us. In other words, they had hoped that he was going to restore Israel to its former glory and fulfill all of God's promises to the Jewish people. But the chief priest and the rulers delivered him up to be crucified three days ago. So Cleopas says that some of the women went to the tomb and had visions of angels who said that Jesus was alive again. So some went to the tomb, but they didn't find him. Now, if you went to visit a grave and you found the ground dug up and the casket open, I doubt one of us in this room would actually think of resurrection. Neither did they. They had an understanding of the Messiah and his mission, but it was, fun- but it was fundamentally flawed. They had poor vision. The problem, again, is that their eyes have not yet adjusted. They've sat in the darkness for so long that they can't see the light. So Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary then that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus is going to readjust their perspective. He's going to open their eyes in a two-step process that begins with Holy Scripture much as our liturgy does today. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now for the Jews, the phrase the law and the prophets was a pretty common way at the time to refer to the entirety of the Old Testament. See, tradition holds that Moses wrote those first five books of the Bible, what what the Jews called the law. So as they're walking, Jesus is casually reinterpreting the entirety of the Old Testament in relation to himself. He says something like, hey, you know how God created the world? He spoke it into existence, right? Well, when you speak, what comes out? Words. 
And here stands before them the word who became incarnate and suffered among us. Hey, you know that Passover lamb that saved you from death when you were back in Egypt? The Christ, this one who stands in front of them now, is the true Paschal lamb who was sacrificed for the sins of the world. Now, I have an on-again and off-again relationship with John Calvin. I don't know how better to describe it. But Calvin wrote that scripture is a pair of glasses that are necessary for our eyes to see God correctly. And I think he's onto something there. He once wrote this, For just as eyes when dimmed with age or weakness or by some other defect, unless aided by spectacles, unless aided by glasses, guides us in seeking God, we are immediately confused. Without scripture, we're confused about who God is. So Jesus is once again adjusting their eyes so that they can see him more clearly. But they still don't see him well. So as they draw near to Emmaus, it looks like Jesus is going to continue on. But they stop him and they beg him to stay with them for the evening. They invite him in. So Jesus accepts the offer and stays for the night. But this is going to be both similar and completely unlike any meal or any night they've ever had. And I want you to notice the familiar formula Luke's going to use to describe it. When Jesus was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Luke, like myself, really has a thing for meals. In Luke's gospel, we actually see Jesus eating all the time. He eats no no fewer than nine different times and probably more in Luke's gospel. And in each of these meals, he's teaching or demonstrating something of the substance of his mission as the Messiah. See, a meal isn't just a meal, because for Luke, it usually means something much more. A meal means presence. When we share a meal with a loved one, we're uniquely present in a way that we can't be during the rest of the day. See, meals are a time of rest and revitalization in the presence of people we love. Something I feel every time I'm tempted to pick up my phone during dinner. So in these meals in Luke's gospel, Jesus is present with all sorts of different types of people you might not expect. He eats with the Pharisees and the self-righteous, of course, but he also eats with tax collectors and sinners. Unlike Billy Joel, Jesus seems to be okay laughing with the sinners and crying with the saints. This is a meal like any other, yet completely different. Because as soon as the disciples receive the bread from the hands of Christ, their eyes are opened and they finally see him for who he really is. Their eyes come into focus, and they see that the crucified Messiah of whom they've spoken is also the risen Savior who stands with them. In this meal, they recognize the presence of the one who was absent from the tomb. See, farm to table is great, but from, from tomb to table is a little more hard, a little trickier to pull off. So there, Jesus is, so their eyes there are opened, and Jesus disappears from their midst. Again, not the kind of thing you write if you want to make it clear that this is not a ghost further showing us how truthful these scriptures are. So their eyes are opened, and one of them says, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? See, their hearts knew something that their eyes could not see. So they immediately get up, and they run through the night back to Jerusalem to announce to the others what has happened, because they've been on quite a journey. You're on a journey, too whether you want to be or not. And as we are on this journey, it can be easy to lose our way. Midway along the journey of our life, you may find yourself again in a dark wood. Or you may start on a quest for fun that only ends in misery. This is inevitably part of the human experience. It's why we like these stories about journeys so much. 
But as the road gets tough, as it gets bumpy, we can lose sight of where we're going and who is traveling with us. Our eyes can grow dim, and then the light can go out, even if for just a little bit, and our vision has to be changed. So scripture and the sacrament of Holy Communion help our eyes adjust so that we can see Christ is with us. And you know what? He's been with us the whole time. If only we have those eyes to see that have been reshaped and reimagined. You may be thinking, wait, he was there with the disciples in Luke in a decidedly different way than he's there with us. And that's true to a certain extent. But you may remember that Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And in Acts, we actually have more close analogies to our own relationship. See, in Luke, in the gospel, Jesus has not yet ascended. He has not yet sent the Holy Spirit to comfort and to aid us, to be present to us in a different way. But in Acts, <coughs> excuse me, in Acts, Jesus has ascended to the heavens. And he has sent the paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit. So he may be present to us in a new way. But if we want to recognize Jesus in our world, we have to have eyes that are shaped by word and sacrament. For Luke, the meals don't simply stop because Jesus has ascended. Immediately after Peter's Pentecost speech, we read that the disciples once again devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, scripture, and to the breaking of bread, word and sacrament, the very beginning. Christ remains present to us, his people, through word and sacrament. But I want us to end this morning with the very last meal we see in the book of Acts. So if you remember the story, Acts Acts 27, rather, St. Paul is on his way home to Rome as a captive on a prison ship. But during the night, they have a bad encounter with dark weather, and they get completely disoriented. They're off track. They're afraid that they're about to crash on the rocks of some nearby shore. In the midst of the journey, they've lost their sight in the darkness. But Paul seems unfazed. While all around him, people are frantically manning the lifeboats and getting ready to abandon ship, he explains that they will all be saved. But what he does up next is really pretty weird, pretty odd. As day was about to break, Paul recognizes that these Roman soldiers, the ones that are transporting him to Rome for his trial, that they're hungry. And so we read about the last meal in Acts. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat it. You hear that similar formula, that similar phrase again. The journey of our lives rarely goes according to plan. I don't know if you've picked up on that yet. It's possible that a life may run aground. And when the ship smashes against the rocks, even if no fault of your own, what do you do? The journey of our lives is rarely limited to the daylight hours. It's possible that you may experience a dark night of the soul, once again, through no fault of your own, when God feels so far away and you feel so desperately alone. But Christ cuts through that darkness in word and sacrament together. The scriptures show us how Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is and exactly what he's done for us. How the whole world is created through him and ordered through him. How our sins are forgiven and we're not left here alone. In the sacrament of Holy Communion, which we'll celebrate in a moment, it screams that like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, like Paul in the midst of a shipwreck, you are not alone. That Christ is with you. And here's the best part. Word and sacrament train our eyes to recognize that Christ has been walking with us the whole time. It's not just that Jesus is only present in Bible and bread. He certainly is. But receiving the word and sacrament adjust our eyes so that we can see that Jesus has been walking with us the whole time, whether we knew it or not. He's been with us through every joy or heartache, 
He's seen our greatest accomplishments and our worst failures, and he hasn't gone anywhere. And still he walks with us on this journey and will do so until the very end, when on that day, he will invite us to what we've been waiting for. He'll invite us to dine with him at the table again, this time at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The journey will be over, and we will enter into God's rest, and he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away every tear from every eye. But until then, we beat on against the waves in the night, waiting for the dawn. We walk the road just hoping to get home. But we walk with our eyes being opened by Christ because the dawn from on high has broken upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, stay with us. For the day is past and the evening is at hand. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken hope that we may know you as you were revealed in Scripture and the breaking of bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen.